Welcome to Hit Different, your weekly music culture podcast with me, Mikey Carl, and some other people. I'll tell you about them in a second. First, though, coming up with this episode, musicians starting their own record labels. It's a thing. Snoop Dogg's doing uh, Rolling out albums. Sometimes you do a surprise release. Other times there's just elongated and very interesting kind of ways to roll out. And Jake Webb, Methyl, Ethel, coming up now. Let's welcome people. We have started. We are, we are killing it now. Welcome, my co-host, so Sophia Mole. Hello. And Jake Webb coming to us live, beaming in, wearing clown shoes all the way in Fremantle, I believe, Jake Webb of Metal Ethel. Is that right? Clown shoes. Uh, yeah. And I was just thinking, you said you said elongated and the image of... um. Of, of of Elon Musk somehow uh, behind <laughs> yeah. behind gates. He's everywhere. Gates. Yeah, came into my ma- head. He just made half a billion. You mentioned him just then. That's how <laughs> that's how much money he makes per mention. So, thanks for that. And uh, he's just come on board as a, as a sponsor. <laughs> Shout out to uh, the new fresh Teslas we've got waiting for us outside, including one where you can fit clown shoes in there. Jake, how's all things uh, going in the the worst, uh, where you refuse to let any Victorians in? <laughs> Or anyone else from Australia. It's great, actually. I, I got to say, it's all happening and not happening at the same time. There are worse places to be stuck. WA is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. when I'm you sure. can get there. Yeah, it's so cool to have you on this program because I'm probably the industry's biggest methyl ethyl fanboy. So it's nice that we didn't have you on too soon. It feels like the perfect first guest for the year, especially talking about your third record, Are You Haunted, which will jump into very, very interesting, enticing, exquisite album. Uh, but first, though, Sosie, you want to talk a little bit about a little something, something of Snoop Dizzle? Yes. Snoop Dogg, rapper, actor, weed-smoking extraordinaire, entrepreneur, menu log ambassador, um, can now add record label owner to his name. And it's kind of a gorgeous full circle moment because this week it was announced uh, that he is now the owner of the iconic Death Row Records is the label that pays me. Hell yeah. So for those of you who who may not uh, be across it, I I always do this where I'm like, there's just an assumed knowledge. And sometimes people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? So uh, Death Bro, you know, it's this label that was home to so many iconic West Coast hip hop names in what a lot of people would consider like the golden era. Yeah, the 90s. Because it is, yep. Yeah, so you had Tupac, we had Dr. Dre, obviously Snoop, Nate Dogg, like mm-hmm. corrupt. This is the Jack Up Hour with DJ Easy Dick. Exactly. Um, founded back in 1992 and, it, yeah, it, I feel like it's famous for the drama as much as it was for the yeah, iconic records that came a, from it. A bit of an arsehole, Suge Knight. <laughs> to, to put it, to put kind it of politely. a good businessman, <laughs> a bad person. Exactly. So now it's like Death Row is coming into a new era under the guise of Snoop Dogg. He bought the brand from the MNRK Music Group, which I didn't realise was controlled by basically private equity funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it feels good that this label is now in the hands of a creative again. When Hasbro, the toy brand, bought, I think they bought the licensing to all the music on Death Row. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, from what I can, from I know, right? So from what I can read, 
and research. I don't think Snoop has the ownership of like the music that came up until this merger, but it means that he's got control over the creative and everything of it moving forward, which is potentially even more exciting because now he can sort of develop the brand under this new umbrella that isn't, you know, in the shadow of Suge Knight and all of the bad shit that came before it. Um, Of this acquisition, Snoop has said, I'm thrilled and appreciative of the opportunity to acquire the iconic and culturally significant Death Row Records brand, which has immense untapped future value. It feels good to have ownership of the label I was a part of at the beginning of my career and as one of the founding members. This is an extremely meaningful moment for me. So not only is it a great financial move for Snoop, but it also adds into a big year he's having. He's got a new album coming out and is going to be performing with Dr. Dre, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar and Mary J. Blige for this year's Super Bowl mm-hmm. halftime show. Mm-hmm. So, Which is out today, which is happening right now as you listen. So mm-hmm. thanks for doing mm-hmm. two things at once, a podcast yes. and uh, some sweet halftime hip-hop action. Very much so. So I guess, you know, reading about this today, thinking about the idea of musicians or artists getting into a position where they can curate labels, curate rosters of their own. Do we think that this is the way artists are moving? Do we feel like this is where more artists are going to be moving? Obviously not on the same level as, you know, multi-millionaire artists buying out these major labels, but we're seeing, we've seen even in Australia, some artists forming their own labels here. Like, is this the new... Briggs with Bad Apples, Courtney Barnett and Jen Club with Milk. Um, College of Knowledge Records, Lachlan Stuckey from Surprise Chef. These are all you know super respected labels who are just building really nice sort of stories around their artists as well and being able to mm. tell those stories. Jake, do you have any compulsion to start a record label? It's a bit of a shop front, right? That That's the one thing that I think all labels have in common is that there it is sort of a um, like a way to sort of gather artists together you know what I mean but what happens the differences between them all and and especially as as far as the ownership of music goes it kind of that's where I feel like it starts to get murky because my question would be as far as death row records goes so it's and and that's what's really great the fact that it means so much to Snoop it's really funny talking about Snoop I know right you know with such authority with Mr. Dog yeah um, (laughs) Esquire uh, (laughs) But I wonder who owns the, you know, the rights to the actual songs and the music, mm. and mm-hmm. and and that's kind of that's sort of can sometimes be a more important part of it all, you know. And, yeah. and I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, that often music defaults back to being owned by the songwriter after X amount of years, right? Sometimes it depends. What or is that kind of not deal, right? It depends what kind of deal you yeah, sign okay, as cool. well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think that there is that labels are can be culturally significant, such as Death Row, but also the importance of them to actually release the music sometimes is more so now than ever before is kind of, they, they don't have as much importance. You don't really need it to put your music totally. out. So there's this sort of, it's a big question mark, I reckon, over it all. Mm. Your record label experience, Jake, uh, you were signed to 4AD. Not many bands have been signed to 4AD from Australia who grabbed you for, was it one or two albums you were with them? Three. Three, good God, fantastic! That's that was the whole um, contract essentially. Okay, excellent. So it was so we kind of finished the contract and then decided to move on from them. Take us behind the scenes with with those chats. Myself and the, the and management and the sort of team and people behind this band, we are pretty ambitious and and also just like to keep moving and pushing and putting music out and 
and we we sort of like to come up with ideas and I think in a way we were growing impatient with having to sort of wait for certain things and you know wait wait and have decisions made and I mean my relationship with all of the people at 40 the experience was incredible it was amazing but um at the same time as well it's nice to step away and start new relationships and get fresh people on board that are excited and as well so yeah I had a really good experience and um it felt pretty close to these days to um like a a major label kind of going to like a you know going to a nice a nice restaurant here and there and yeah. going to their offices in London or super fancy so it was kind of, it was it was very much sort of a wide-eyed moment um, throughout it all mm. and were you hesitant at all to sign with them or was it just a lay down the zone that you would um, because they're 4AD we sort of we we sort of had a couple of people a couple of labels that we were interested in all those years ago that before we signed on with 4AD and 4AD were just a label that I think it, it was one of the labels that I really respected and loved all the music on and so as soon as they uh we got interest from them and we started liaising with them yeah it just was a no-brainer when the the offer came through that we'd take it. And it just was really exciting because at any moment, you know, it was us, we, the band went over to this festival that's now defunct in New York City called CMJ, which is kind of like a South by Southwest yeah. sort of situation. And it's, it is kind of like going there and schmoozing people. And when we went over there, it was, to me, it was like, this is a dream of mine. I always wanted to play, um, just play a show in New York City, a place, a city where so many of my favourite artists of all time have kind of come from, and and that was all that I I I would be would have been happy if nothing came of it. I came home and then the band was no more. But so yeah, it was really special to come away from that and be signed to a label that I really respected, and still to this day it, it feels a bit like a dream. Especially like you you talk about going over there with no real expectations you know you, you just want to be kind of in the muck of it all going through it do you feel because I've, I've done CMJ I've done South by multiple times and when you are over there it's kind of like you don't have time to actually reflect on those sorts of meetings if they are successful you know it's not until you actually come back and then the work starts you know then all of a sudden the requirements start coming in the deadlines start coming in you start to deal with like all of the admin side of this amazing thing like when the label signing happened everything was in concrete and then you got to that stage where it was like okay it's time to deliver did your perspective of the whole experience change a little bit or was it like okay cool like this is exactly what I thought it was going to be let's just get this shit popping I I think it only changed after the second album yeah that we put out with them and so the the great thing that 4AD did is that we went over there and we already had finished, we already had put out Oh Inhuman Spectacle, out the first record I made. We'd already put that out in Australia. So we were also kind of looking for someone who'd be keen to to release the album uh, on sort of like a, for the rest of the world, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so they decided that they would do that. So the first release on the label was already in the bag. The deadline had been met. You know, there was already a record there. So you, you got to kind of um, 
fast forward a little bit and mm-hmm. and so that was a good experience and then going straight into the second record pretty much from there you know we just had all the excitement of the the label uh behind you and uh it was a super positive experience and then after that because that record was i suppose everyone viewed it as being a success mm-hmm. in whatever way mm-hmm. and then it was kind of like okay there was a bit of the a and r situation of you know, let's level up. We we want this out of it, or maybe the disappointments that maybe it hadn't the the first two hadn't you know reached as many people or whatever you know as they would have hoped, and and they sort of put put a bit more of the push on, and you start to really see kind of a a bit more of that side of it, which I wouldn't necessarily say is is bad. Yeah, exactly. I I fully understand it, but you do go into these things. Assuming, oh, this could be it. You'd happily, you'd happily stay with a with a yeah. with a label mm. if you've had a good experience for as long as they're willing to sort of support you. And that's really that can be an important part of it, I think. On triage, uh, when you put out the single "Scream Hole," I asked you about it, and I think you said the four IDs that it came back and said we need some more singles. And you wrote uh, "Scream Hole" and two or three other tracks, and you said you enjoy writing with the "fuck you" to prove. Uh, and that was such a for such a sweet man wearing clown shoes. Um, <laughs> the clown shoes, sorry, the clown shoes. Is something he said off air. Sorry to yeah, be bringing the listener into the personal joke. There we go. That was an interesting yeah thing for you to sort of go away and obviously you know in in a really good way. You've you've sort of stepped up and gone. Oh no, I can do this. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to do this and I'm going to you know give you these kind of cuts that will get played on radio, all that kind of stuff. How did that feel and how does that feel sort of in ret- in retrospect to be sort of told we need something better out of you? I respect it and I, I yeah, I don't know. I appreciate that rather than sort of empty positive feedback or just, just somebody saying in like an apathetic sort of way, oh, this is great, you know? Someone gassing you up. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, over time I think what I have – been learning to do is to just get better at um, knowing for myself whether or not something's good or not. And if I think it really is good and good enough, then stand behind it and really argue in the room for it. Yeah. And I suppose that's what I learned. Yeah. The most out of it is there wasn't, you know, there, there, maybe there, when I sat down and showed some of those demos, there probably actually wasn't anything that I wanted to fight for. And so it was just like, go away, figure out, figure out and work on, you know, the, the music until you, yeah, I can stand in there and really, really um, argue for it Mm. and say, this is worth listening to. And now we have Are You Haunted, which you've signed with uh, Future Classic, which we'll talk about in Topic 3, but Topic 2 is coming up in a second. Friends, support Hit Different and other Mushroom podcasts covering Australian music by becoming a subscriber. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Guess what? So guess what, Jake? You get early access, 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 ad-free episodes, and anything else we can pull together, exclamation mark. Most importantly, you'll be supporting music journalism, which is like the music industry. It's kind of all sort of a bit haywire, and it's sort of, you kind of hot one minute and then there's not much work going on and it's a wild time. Um, Sosa and I are riding the bumps with it and thankfully <laughs> we wear a bunch of other hats and go, hang on, guys, there's uh, hats. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's an interesting time. So just, you know, support us and we can keep doing this thing we love doing in a uh, in a sauna-like studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, uh, friends, in a second, I'm going to be talking about album rollouts with uh, Sosa and Jake Webb from Methyl Ethyl. 
A second has now passed, and here we are. Album rollouts. Harvey Sutherland has been wrapping things up this week. He announced his album Boy is coming out um, pretty soon, but he put out a new, a new single today with Damn Funk called Feeling of Love. Uh, the song is not very good. It's just okay. I'm just being real, okay? I can't be fawning all the time. I love Harvey Sutherland so much, but the vocal performance on it leaves me a little bit like, mm, this just sounds like um, crappy. AM Funk, everything else Harvey Sullivan's done, though, I've been very, very into, and I'm sure the album, which I've heard in full, will do well because it's uh, it's a smoker. Um, there was a, a trend, my friends, with uh, surprise-dropping albums. Not everybody can be Beyonce and surprise-drop an album and have the whole internet freak out and just love it so hard. The Weeknd's Dawn FM had a, had a big build-up for, for that album, mm-hmm. which, is, which is done – would you say it's done well? I suppose it feels like it's done pretty well. Has it's it, done okay. Hasn't, done, hasn't had a blinding lights moment yet. So, uh, yeah, in terms of numbers and stuff, probably not. Just sort of cut but, through that's, you know, like become a zeitgeisty it, song. It's freaking hard to. Mm, agree. <laughs> um, I spoke to Dave Bailey from Glass Animals this morning. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I had a great interview with, with him, reading the age quite soon. And he was telling Love me about, him. with their album roll, I mean, they put out an album during the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I was, will anyone care? Uh, yeah, Heatwaves just hit a billion streams. People care. Um, there's another aspect of that which I think is really interesting, which is TikTok, who <laughs> equal parts bringing joy and spreading music and love and cheer mm. around the world, uh, and nefarious Chinese company, Chinese multinational, who are, you know, filtering things through. So only good-looking people. Uh, the algorithm is picking up on good-looking people's content, and unfortunately, um, silencing a lot of uh, black creators as well. This is all allegedly. So TikTok doesn't sue me, but it's not cool. Anyway. They that song Heatwaves by Glass Animals from their last record went bonkers on TikTok. And I think the record label probably, probably did the thing where they got a few influences to do a bit of a mm. dance to the 15 seconds of the, that chorus and then, you know, really, really took off. Maybe it happened organically. I'm not 100% sure, you know, the, the, yeah. way, the way these things work. So discussing album rollouts and uh, obviously, Jake, you've got Are You Haunted coming out. How much say do you have in this album rollout? And I believe you re- you've directed at least one film clip for this. Is that right? So I'm stuck on, um, it sounds like the moderator of, of TikTok or what you're talking about must be M- M- Mugatu from, yeah, I was from gonna... Zoolander or something. <laughs> it's pretty much Derelict. it. Derelict. <laughs> Derelict my balls, guppy. <laughs> there is a bit of that vibe. TikTok has become so powerful and it can make up, I mean, their band Good Morning, who we had on not so long ago, they had the TikTok moment, and now they're one and a half million streams a month, and they're you know getting paid okay. So it's sort of coming in, especially during a pandemic. Really? Yaha! Yeah, they had a big moment. That's so good. Oh, mm. uh, love Good Morning. Yeah, great, great record as well. They just did everything they needed to do with that with that album. Uh, yeah, tell us a bit about yeah the, your album rollout and how much say you get in you get to have with it with this uh, this label Future Classic and 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 what you also think about you know how album rollout should be rolled out. To take it, to sort of go from the uh, whole social media thing that you were just talking about, I feel like when we when we look back at the 80s, there's so much bullshit <laughs> involved in the whole, in, in the music industry in the 80s that people go, oh, that'll, that's so gross, you know, like mm-hmm. bits and pieces, you know, whether, whether it be fashion or certain new technologies that kind of made its way in there. I feel like that's what this will be looked back. You know, you look back on TikTok and things like that and go, what the fuck were we all, what, yeah. were, we, what were we thinking that this was something that was so important, you know, and, it, and yeah. it's become huge. But it really is just, it's just bullshit. But it's 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 fun. I, th- I can see how fun it can be. But um, 
people can really stress out over it and, and put their whole lives into into these this thing and um and just worry worry that they're not doing enough and I suppose you'll never you'll never do enough but well there's always going to be something new think, right mm. if it's not TikTok it's going to be something else in the, ten years the content monster as well. Yeah. Once more content. Yeah. Give me more content. Are you on TikTok at all, Jake? I think maybe. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have your own account but, um, and Bethlehem don't like run a, a TikTok account? No. I mean, I would just get to it. I think I would be addic- become addic- like addicted to it. Become a dick. That's not what I was saying. It's already happened. So, sorry. But um, <laughs> I think that there, there is there is a social media sort of part of, I suppose... I've kind of stepped a little bit away from it, but it still operates because I'm not good at it. And I, and there are people who are better at doing it than I. Um, and I'll just ad- admit to that. And I, I think, yeah. So that's a huge part of the, the, the album rollout. So I'll, what do I think about the album rollout? I mean, whichever way you want to do it, I don't really have, I could have more of a say, but I suppose I choose not to. And I think that ties back in with the label thing. That's why we that's why we choose to work with labels because they seemingly know best when it comes to uh, you know timing things and and what way you know how to kind of put music out. But I would just often I would just feel like I would put the music out. I mean, the first couple of EPs that I made. Years and years ago, I, I pretty much burnt a bunch of CDs and sent them around to, posted them around to all the community radio stations in Australia, and that totally it totally worked. It was great. So that's kind of was the release. So I will will always I always appreciate um, and I always put send music to community radio stations. I think that's a really mm. important part of putting music out to me. Um, but yeah, I think putting it out in whatever way you want to is kind of valid. Yeah, I would like to think that you know, even though, like Mikey was saying, we're we're kind of existing in an industry now where there is such a reliance on this content monster, as it were. I really hope that the importance of community radio, the importance of actually getting your music to journalists, getting your music to radio programmers in that real kind of grassroots way doesn't get lost because things are moving so fast now, right, in terms of new music coming it's out. so fragmented. Exactly. Like there's – you really need to have – like as a music listener, for me anyway, you know, I want to have a connection with that artist when I'm listening to new music. Um, I remember, you know, I used to get CDs sent to me to review by artists instead of, you know, how we were used to, like, getting the music list being like, oh, you know, our editor wants us to cover XYZ music. Let's pick from them. Like, I remember getting bands express posting me burnt CDs, probably paying more for the postage than they did for the actual burning of the CD. <laughs> but um, it was it felt really nice to get music that way, and I feel like... Yeah, I feel like maybe we've lost a little bit of that importance because... Just the physicality of it. Exactly. And when you've got conversations, I mean, we've seen it happen online recently where, you know, you've even got bigger artists being now hit with the whole like, well, what can your TikTok presence be? Like, how can we work this music out to be condensed into like a 15 second grab (laughs) to then have a viral dance go with it to then drive numbers up? It's just like... It's a bit yuck. It's a bit yuck, but also it's like, well, why are you making music in the first place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you can put that 
with the whole idea of a full album rollout, that's where it gets a bit yucky for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with the sort of music that Methyl Ethel makes, like you can't. That's one of the great things about the sort of music that you make is that it it refuses to be pigeonholed into mm-hmm. into that sort of corner. So. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting, but I, I like the fact that you know we can sit here and talk about fucking mailing music out, and you know still having that love for servicing it in that way. I feel like it's dope. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, RTR still going strong in WA, Jake. Absolutely, yeah, and and it's nice to to hear all of the uh, you know the generations move through it as far mm. as the presenters go, and it's a just such a it's. We're just really lucky, I think, to to have it, and to all the all the community stations across the the country. I mean, they are a bit of a sort of um, cultural hub, really. Mm. They, they're you know for for all the like minded people, just really it it can sort of um, help to coagulate all those 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 uh, sp- special minds. And, First, yeah. use and of bodies. coagulate on our. <laughs> On our podcast, uh, so thank you very much. Just you on, can, you can pretty much do nothing after this. Yeah, exactly. you, can just, you can just go back to being <laughs> Bruce Willis in, in Fifth Element. <laughs> just on the RTR front, when I was in Perth for Whamfest last year, it was last year. Really? It, it, you, I know you were here. <laughs> I actually got over there, what? <laughs> and then everything shut down again. So that was my first time in WA. She swam back, and I absolutely, absolutely loved it. But what kind of struck me the most was like you know living on the east coast. Um, the, my only exposure to RTR is through emails with different presenters. You know, kind of very online. But then being able to see just how much respect there is for that station how much of an institution it is seeing the presenters who've you know become sort of identities in the WA music scene in their own right and some of them have moved on to the east coast like our good friend Caitlin who was with us on the amp RTR legend now works at Double J like all of it it was just really heartwarming because I'm like this is a sort of vibe as you get in Melbourne with like a three triple R or a PBS and it's just great to see that people prosper from it exactly and i was just like oh man like you're that person from rtr and like i've i've been stalking you you know what i mean but it it was just really really cool to (laughs) to at least kind of inject myself into for a little bit and then bring that back over to to jump back to the album stuff um when it's done when it's done badly uh you two sort of force fed (laughs) their album onto apple phones in their defense, it was pretty punk. I think the edge on Graham Norton said, well, we want people to have an opinion about us. And now a lot of people do have an opinion about us that he didn't really have an opinion about us. So that was interesting. Uh, David Bowie's Black Star came out three days before he died and obviously got amazing reviews just, just before he passed. And it's nice to think that he would have, because it was one of his, one of the best of his, it have been like the last two decades of David Bowie's career. Um, reminds me of the Kurt Cobain, Death is a Career Move, which he quoted somebody on his suicide, suicide note. Um, yeah, that's an interesting way to roll out a death. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> I spoke to client liaisons Harvey Miller, who's doing this uh, thing, Harvey M, a bit of a dance project. And for him, he said, I have to get 20 people to okay the smallest piece of content with client liaison. It's really frustrating, really, really annoying. So could you, Jake, envision, envisage, uh, I know you do something on the side, which is, is it called XOGS? What's it called? Kiss, Hug, Godspeed? Yeah, it is. Yeah, would, would you uh, would you yeah. drop, would you surprise drop an album like with that kind of thing, or is is there enough there that you can put out an EP now? Like, how's that all? As as we get the scoop, how's that all coming <laughs> along? Put, I put out a an ambient record under a different name 
last year or the no maybe a couple of years ago as well and what's it like, called well i mean that's the whole point how did you not know about this yeah but like that's that's the exciting thing i think i'll always put music out under different names and but release it and send it through you know i think i think rtr played it at one point but i called myself um it was called eight by eight and I ma- wrote this thing about it being a collective of musicians, you know, making ambient <laughs> music, experimental ambient music. So I don't know. That's what I find fun. I think it's kind of, um, it's just like a really playful way to just make something, put it out, and then mm. it's just sort of the circle is complete. Um, as, as far as the, as the, a lot of this album rollout stuff, it's to- it's, it's detracts completely from what it, what the actual thing the product is and i get it for someone like beyonce get it for that mainstream pop thing when where maybe it will where it is completely like marketing is kind of the name of the game the music obviously is good but it it's always been kind of a bit secondary in that in that realm right like it's image marketing all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. the music is yeah in my opinion same with kind of i guess person from client liaison talking about content you know that <laughs> heinous word content it's, in the end who cares who cares how or when the thing is released just put it out and then so that people can listen to it mm-hmm. you know like that's the whole point right so mm-hmm. that's that's how i feel about it, it, it that's good. and I that's why i kind of leave an, it up a, to the label you know yeah and i, I hear we that's still quite an idealistic way of, of thinking about how people will get to because so often now people need to be fed on their feet music and through algorithms that's how it's you know sort of the lay of the land it's so sad that we don't have you know apart from rage we don't have like a a video program we can wake up to channel v or mtv on on a saturday morning and you know even countdown countdown revolution we had so many sort of over the years it'd be lovely to come back to that where we're we're just sort of focusing on clips video hits was dope so much fun (laughs) even the crap songs were fun because you were like you're watching music and you're paying it out and Barbie girl, terrible. That's the whole thing. It's just a, yeah, just paying out the songs the whole time. Strawberry kisses. Oh, this is yeah. oh, this is terrible. Yeah, oh. how fun was that? It's, it's yeah, because you know you're giving getting a visceral reaction to it all. And um, with Are You Haunted, you dropped uh, Neon Cheat, which has done pretty well. Matters, which has done okay. Now Proof has come through with Stella Donnelly, which is an incredible song. Um, got me on the third or the fourth listen, and now I'm obsessed with it. Uh, are you happy so far with how the album seems to be, I don't want to keep saying rolling out, but how things are progressing and how people are sort of picking up and getting into the singles? Yeah, I think so. It feels it feels good. But yeah, in that same way, I mean, I have that, I, I maintain that idealistic view, I suppose, because I, I'm, I have the luxury of being able to maintain that position. You know, when I have a, a team of people that can, you know, work on that kind of on that side of things, then I can just be the sort of artist, the yeah. capital A artist, and you doing have, the work. And and, and, and yeah. there is a inherent um, mystery to Methyl Ethel too. Not many bands call their, what's the one, Leur de Sorcières? How do you say Leur de... Leur de Sorcières? Who can get away with that shit? <laughs> you, Jake Webb of Methyl Ethel, <laughs> so, so good. I even call your own... Uh, you know, the album oh, Inhuman Spectacle, even putting out a song called Ubu, your biggest hit, which doesn't mention Ubu once. Things like that, I think it's, hmm. it's pretty cool to see how you, you've carved out this path, which is like much more sort of intellectual, heady, kind of very sort of widescreen art house um, aspect, which wasn't, not a lot of that going around when when you started and all that going on. So I think it's impressive you stuck to your guns. Mm. Uh, and let's talk more about your career in just a second and everything like that. 
Friends, check out other podcasts from Mushroom. There are some rippers out there, bloody rippers. Some of my best work with Jane Rocker, 180 Grams, and Tesco Brothers, or One Guitar, and that's with uh, our friend Alex Gow, no mercy. Just search for Mushroom Studios in your podcast app. Excellent. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to get into topic three, which is Methyl Ethyl, which is, after this bit of music... Jake Webb coming to us live from Fremantle on the internets. What do you want to talk about with Jake right now? So, so I'm going to throw to you. I'm just like the fanboy. <laughs> I know. I, I'm. If you could be in the studio with us right now, Jake, it's like there's Mikey's on a whole different sort of buzz right now. So it's great for me to sit here um, and watch. But in terms of new music. We've just spoken a lot about content and I feel like that word was like my most overused word of 2021. I hated it almost as much Bullshit. as... Bullshit. I would call you up and you'd just be her mantra. I'm not content unless they're making content. Exactly. Not- exactly. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I would like just came to hate about myself was asking <laughs> musicians like, so like what music did you make out of the pandemic? How did it affect your artistry? So I'm not going to go down that route with you. Well, before you don't go down the route, he says, honestly, the last two years I haven't been able to go on tour. It's actually given me five years studio experience. Well, there you go. Jake Webb. There you go. <laughs> well, let, let's kind of jump into that. That is kind of leading into what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, we had an interview with Jack McEwen from Psychedelic Porn Crumpets just before the end of last year. Again, another uh, polymath of an artist, kaleidoscopic creative tripper. brain, absolute tripper and legend, <laughs> also found himself in this position of- when he was, you know, touring extensively and then had nothing to do but to just pump out, like, four albums in the space of a year and a half. What did the sense of, like, A, did you have a sense of isolation yourself? And do you feel like with this record we're seeing, like, a new a new side to your creative mania, I guess, come through? I mean, psychedelic porn crumpets, how do you get away, how do you get away with the band name like that? <laughs> it's the antithesis of And they have... <laughs> It is the it's, antithesis of it. Yeah. Keep going. I don't know. I wouldn't call it mania at all. I would. I think I just got to be more, li- like, lead a more boring life, and I, <laughs> you know, really do the nine to five thing. And I just, I love it. I love yeah. it so much. Do you think it's going to be um, a bit? That's of all a, that really happened. Do you think it's going to be some kind of a culture shock when things do open back up again, and you are going to have to be back on cycle? No, I'm not really. I mean, it's it'll it'll pose its challenges for sure. Yeah. I mean, because I guess get it, you just get out of practice. But sure. I'm so glad that to be to have been shake, shaken up and 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 be forced to to change because sometimes that's what it takes. It yeah. takes you can really just get on that one track. Sure. And that's that's not uh, taking into account actually how disruptive the global sort of situation has been, you know, and so with all due respect to people really affected and et cetera, this is just, for me, I think it's been good to to be forced to, um, yeah, adapt. Yeah. It's a good way of looking at it. You've always been a glass half full kind of dude. Um, now you've gone and sat at But a half piano. full of what though, Mikey? That's the, <laughs> that's the question. Vodka. Um, you've, you've sat <laughs> on an upright piano. You've sort of made this a real kind of piano-led record. How did that all sort of come about? It really was just because the piano here at this studio is, is so beautiful that I just was playing it a lot. And I've always written, you know, the bedrock 
or at least arranged most of the songs at a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So this one was just, it was just really a luxury to be able to put it through, put it on there. And um, I don't know. I, well, I mean, I, I love classical music. It's sort of now mostly what I listen to. And so, I yeah, it, it was a choice that was very, it was very much a self-indulgent choice, but it kind of helped to, I used it as a bit of a, um, a bit of a through line through the record, just something to, to anchor all the songs together by trying to fit a bit of piano in there. So it felt like they were, they were sort of had a bit of continuity. Unreal. You said you've sort of become at one with your studio and one with the studio. Does it feel like these songs are sort of dropped from the sky and just, you, just, you know, you're channeling something and they're just sort of coming at it in, in that way? Cause you, and perhaps you didn't have a deadline either. There's elements of it, elements of that for sure. But I think that's what the, I've learned that that's what the toil is for. It's sort of, you work away at something all day long and then like the magic will happen at three o'clock in the afternoon Mm. when you, when you've, you know, been banging your head up against the wall, trying to fit, trying too hard to figure something out. Then you just, then just, you're sort of warmed up and then the play kind of comes and that's where something special will happen. But it doesn't come without the frustration of the the other you know 90% of the day <laughs> it really is it is it is how it works i think yeah i mean I that's the to, one thing to dave Bailey, as i said from glass animals this morning and heat waves is a track that came super late like 2am in the morning he said i've been fishing all day you know fishing for that song and just been pulling in rubbish and tires and crap and nothing and then that song came out in 7 minutes you know, that song has made their career, it's made them help them sort of level up and beyond all that kind of gross <laughs> slash necessary stuff. It's, you know, he put this amazing piece of art out into the world, which if he hadn't been, you know, hard at it all day. Any particular tracks on the record, uh, Are You Haunted, that like like Proof or, or, or any any tracks that were after those sort of two or three days of just nothing and then this thing, you're like, oh, fuck, didn't see that coming. Well, Neon Cheap was probably the quick one mm. because mm-hmm. I had the majority of the record finished uh, and then it was sort of summer, not this summer, but last year's summer ca- came around and it was, I was just sort of continuing to to write and, and being a bit more playful in the studio and um, that's how that one came. So this probably was the, the quickest one, but the rest were worked um not from a production perspective, but from a, sort of a songwriting perspective. I worked quite for quite a long time on them, especially the lyrics. I spent a lot of a lot of hours, and I rewrote them a lot of times. You've name checked uh, Gudur Thunberg, Swedish environmental activist and uh, iconoclast, as a reference point for the album. How did Greta's sort of uh, you know ethos and, and attack to li- attack on life, etc., um, yeah, sort of seep its way into the album? It's, she, she sort of represents to me, I suppose, this uh, sort of generation that are coming through who are, who it feels like aren't afraid to to sort of gather and 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 uh, disrupt in order to get their voices heard, and I, I just find that really exciting. And it sort of was the inspiration for some of the ideas in. Uh, a song on the record called Kids on Holiday. Matters came from your experience of hanging out in LA on the San Andreas fault line and perhaps the stretch marks life can leave on our minds. 
Uh, tell us about that sort of wonderfully unsettling. Whoa, that is beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful and, and it's, absolutely it's like that grotesque. Be somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> I got that. I was um, on some very good at uh, at Splendor, and uh, <laughs> it was in this like circus tent bit. And the person came out on the speaker and just said on the microphone, she's like, "We don't want to scare you. We just want to leave stretch marks on your minds." Oh my God, and it was like the funniest thing we'd ever heard. It was just so perfect. It matters is is a song kind of that, that capturing that feeling of. Sitting on a fault line, and where an earthquake can happen at any time, sort of quite a wonderfully unsettling kind of uh, what's the word? Intoxicating feeling. Mm. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I mean, what is? Have you had experiences like that before? How does that relate to you? I was at Kobe in Kobe in Japan, and there were every thirteen years or so they have an earthquake, and it had been fifteen years. So I had that same oh, experience wow. of just like. This thing could blow at any at any time. Yeah. Yeah. Was, and I was in a jazz bar and I walked in there trying to be low-key and within half an hour, <laughs> I was just holding court with the whole bar, including penguins, giant penguins, emperor penguins, Aww. which were just running around at the side of the bar. Like, you know, they're all sort of being looked after. I mean, they were in a bar, so it wasn't the best life for them. But they kind of, the living conditions were pretty good for these penguins. Uh, listening to some, some sweet Miles Davis. Love Drinking whiskey with... Um, with ice that was in the shape of baseballs. Baseball's massive in Japan. Like these baseball, yeah. actual baseballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my experience. Let's throw to um, Sos. Sos, have you ever survived <laughs> a volcanic eruption? No. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, I haven't been in the situation where I've had to think about it. So, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I've, a lot of family of mine live in New Zealand. They live in the Pacific Islands where obviously they're dealing with a lot mm-hmm. of... Um, a lot of, yeah, just a lot of repercussions of recent volcanic eruptions. But, yeah, I remember growing up, going to New Zealand, and, you know, there was always stories going around about if we're in Christchurch or even if we're in, you know, in Wellington or wherever, someone knew someone who'd been through an earthquake yeah. or, you know, yeah. everyone was always having one eye open to what if it happens again. And then living in Darwin for as long as I did, we were always on cyclone watch. We came close to having to evacuate a few times. So definitely know what that uh, emergency immediate feeling is like when you're like, all right, do we mm-hmm. do we got to go? Do we got to go? Mm. Um, and you spent time with trick. Marlon Williams. Sorry, I felt like I moved on too quickly from that. Um, it's fine. I survived. <laughs> I survived. Survived. Everyone in Western is doing great. Thanks, buddy. It's fine. Um, Marlon Williams in Littleton in Christchurch. You spent some time, Jake, with him walking around, and I think he showed you a few things. Yeah, so we spent a little bit of time in his hometown, Littleton, which was affected by that. Uh, those Christchurch, uh, it's just out of Christchurch, so yeah, those, those earthquakes, which I can't remember when they happened. It was a few years ago now. Mm. Um, but yeah, there, some stories of people that he knew around then during the earthquake were, were so incredible. Did he did I, uh, he take you past I, I the th- cathedral? I th- think th- it just is it completely f- yeah. gone? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a vacant block. Yeah. Really sad. Um so much of that and then and in Littleton especially they just had it was this it was really tragic they had these just photographs on sort of billboards in front of buildings that were just not there anymore. Jeez. So you sort of walk around and really, I, don't, I wonder how long after that they sort of embraced that and, and mm. um, you know, like it's not too, like it wasn't too difficult to have that really present to say, hey, look, look, look what, look what's, ha- what happened kind of thing. But um, 
there were some crazy stories that he, he said. Two of them that come to mind are apparently a couple of his friends were, so there's this sort of set, Littleton is sort of cut off from Christchurch by, uh, I suppose, like a part of a mountain range or something. Anyways, you've got to go through a tunnel to get there. But uh, some friends of him of his were, I think, picking mushrooms up on top of this sort of mountain. And the earthquake happened. And supposedly the mushrooms just started popping up out of the ground as the earthquake oh, was happening. Wow. And they mm. just were running around and growing them. This other person he knew was swimming in, I suppose, doing laps in a in a, the public pool or something. And this is an incredible image. But apparently he had this, the experience of the earth dropped and he was swimming in water that was susp- for a moment that was suspended above the swimming pool. Like a cube of water. It's just so a- a- amazing. Yeah. That's so weird, so, shit. Yeah. That's absolutely. Scary. Wowza. Um, have you sung Proof with Stella Donnelly live yet? And when can we see this happen around Australia? We, I mean, sort of live. We filmed ourselves playing it together. And Stella knows that she's, uh, there's a white jumpsuit uh, that she has now. You, got, and you have double drummers. You've got white jumpsuits. This is the, the fresh methyl <laughs> we've got ju- Yeah, we've got the whole thing. Yeah. But I think she Stella's playing Splendor. On the same day as us, so I think we're going to try to get together there. Um, Scoop! Yeah, any ch- anytime we're together. Also, you, we're playing a show in Perth in a couple of weeks. Uh, I can't wait to try and get crossed. into the country. What, what, we- uh, what venue? What venue? <laughs> it's for Perth Festival. It's actually at... It's in the European Whole Foods warehouse. Damn. So good. Pop up there. Yeah, I think we're too, we've got a tour that's still penciled in perhaps it's been you know written over with uh you know more permanent ink i don't know <laughs> but there is we are hopefully coming over before the year is okay. out and we're also playing that festival that's in victoria i think called meadow, meadow. in oh. and guess who's djing me so say you are no i did it last year so she's doing go. it this year she's gonna slay it's gonna be yeah, good. Yeah, it's gonna be dope. And Amazing. Yeah, and you're headlining that festival. There's, there's, yeah, there's like three headliners, and you're one of them. So that's very cool. I think Hiatus Katie were gonna play, but now they're gonna fly to the Grammys. Yeah. So if someone's replaced them. Who's replaced them? Uh, it's Camp Cope. Camp Cope. Um, and yeah. Tropical Fuckstorm. Excellent. It's gonna be a very good cool. time. Excellent. All right. Hey, uh, Jacob, do you want to stick around and do a little bonus episode with us where we talk about all your influences and music that hit different throughout your life? That's a yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're taking time to... <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Bruce Willis. All right, friends, that was a blast. Thank you for joining us. Tell Thanks. everybody about Hit Different. Spread the word about a little old podcast, which just keeps on keeping on. Um, first episode of the year with a guest, that being Jake Webb. Uh, what a blast. Thanks, Jake. We'll speak to you in just a moment. <laughs> <laughs>